two take one, silent turnover. Are you ready, Ringo? Come on, we're doing it. We're on. One, two, three, four. Which key is it in, really? Ringo. George is tuned up. I'm ready to sing into the world. Keep that one, mark it fab. Making good music in a band is all about chemistry. The way our four very different personalities combined in the Beatles was something very special. When we lost John, we knew that it was really over. But in 1994, amazingly, an interesting opportunity arose. We could make more music together. If we were to do something, the three of us, as interesting as it may be, to have John in it is the obvious thing. I was talking to Yoko and she said, ah, I think I've got a tape of John. We were pretty excited. A new John song. Amazing. To hear John's voice, that's the thing that we should cherish. And I'm sure he would have really enjoyed that opportunity to be with us again. We could use John and try and make a record. It was the closest we'll ever come to having him back in the room. I do remember living at the Dakota with dad and mom. There's this impression that my dad stopped doing music for a while to raise me, which I think is partially true in terms of him not touring and not fulfilling any major record label obligations. But he was always playing music around the house. He was always making demos. And I do remember him recording into these tape cassette recorders. Mom had these handful of songs that my dad hadn't finished and she gave them to the other Beatles. George and Ringo came down to my studio. Nice day. Oh, fabulous day, look. We listened to the track. There's John in his apartment in New York City, banging away at his piano, doing a little demo. Is it something we shouldn't do? Every time I thought like that, I thought, wait a minute, let's say I had a chance to ask John, hey John, would you like us to finish this last song of yours? I'm telling you, I know the answer would have been, yeah, he would have loved that. very strange when we started that there's only three of us after all those years and all that life. John, really Do you want to put the kettle on? <laughs> we did Freeze a Bird and real love, and we got a little bit of time left to do Now and Then. When we started Now and Then, it was very difficult because John was sort of hidden in a way. 
in John's demo tape, the piano was a little hard to hear. And in those days, of course, we didn't have the technology to do the separation. Stuff. You know, I was telling you a year ago, Jeff was doing this thing on his computer, but it opens up a whole other kettle of fish. Kind of wants to. But will it open another year of work? It really brought to the fore, to the three of us, that John's gone. Every time we wanted a little bit more of John's voice, this piano came through and clouded the picture. I think we kind of ran out of steam a bit and time, and it was like, well, I don't know, maybe we'll leave this one. Now and then, just kind of languished in a cupboard. And then in 2001, we lost George, which kind of took the wind out of our sails. It took almost a quarter of a century for us to wait until the right moment to tackle now and then again. With the technology that Peter Jackson and his team had worked out during the Get Back movie, he'd been able to separate off certain instruments and voices. During the course of Get Back, we were paying a lot of attention to the technical restoration. That ultimately led us to develop a technology which allows us to take any soundtrack and split all the different components into separate tracks based on machine learning. Peter Jackson has the MAL machine that can just lift anything. We thought, well, we better send John's voice to them off the original cassette. My dad would have loved that because he was never shy to experiment with recording technology. I think it's really beautiful. They said, this is the sound of John's voice. A few seconds later, or however long it took, and there it was, John's voice, crystal clear. I know it's true. It's all because of you And if I make it through It's all because of you Since uh, Peter took John off and gave him his own track, it's like John's there, you know, it's far out. So in the mix, we could lift John's voice without lifting the piano, which had always been one of the problems. Now we could mix it and make a proper record of it. I pulled it out, had a listen to it, and thought, oh, I could actually do the bass a bit better, so why don't I start there? And now 
called me up and said he'd like to work on uh, Now and Then. What do you think? I think it's great. So he put the bass on, he sent the files to me, I put the drums on. it on you know and so now we had a track that was really starting to cook I've been vaguely thinking strings might be a good thing the Beatles did lots of string things you know strawberry fields yesterday I'm the walrus we wanted to go to Capitol Studios because that had been EMI and it was sort of Beatley Giles worked up an arrangement like Giles' dad would have done in the old days. We had to put the music out on the stands for the musicians, but we couldn't tell them it was a new Beatles song. It was all a bit hush-hush. We pretended it was just something of mine. The new record, there's a guitar solo. We had kept George's guitar parts from 95, and I thought what I'd like to do is do a slide guitar solo in George's style. It was really a tribute to George. And then we started mixing it. Wow. This is it. Now it's a Beatle record. Okay. One, two. It was incredibly touching to hear them working together after all the years that my dad had been gone. I know it's true. It's the last song that my dad and Paul and George and Ringo will get to make together. memories come flooding back. My God, how lucky was I to have those men in my life and to work with those men so intimately and to come up with such a body of music. To still be working on Beatles music in 2023, wow. We're actually messing around with state-of-the-art technology, which is something the Beatles would have been very interested in. Now and then, it's probably like the last Beatles song, and we've all played on it, so it is a genuine Beatle recording. I'll tell you what, why don't you just give me a little bit of his original demo, sort of hear how he's playing the piano. That part could be played on like another thing. Bring it play on his drum. Okay. Yeah, tune tom toms. Yeah. We'll come in after this. Yeah. And I'm thinking verse three could be like the intro again, you know. Start again. 
When are we ever going to get to sleep? Now, there's a good question. No rest for the wicked. D-I-N, son. Do it now. Do it now. Come then, back it up a bit. Can I just do it, Johnston? Welcome to Paul or Nothing, the place to get all of your Paul all of the time. Join me, your host, Sam Wiles, as we discover the history, the music, and the man behind it all, Paul McCartney. To get in contact with the show, email us at paulmccartneypod at gmail.com. Hello, 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 and welcome to another episode of Paul or Nothing, the place to get all of your Paul all of the time. And remember, folks... This is widescreen podcasting. This is wide, wide, widescreen, screen, screen, podcasting. Of course, I'm your host, Sam Walls. Thank you all for tuning in, and I hope you're all well, safe, and sound. Look, I know why you're here. You know why I'm here. We both know why we're here. So let's just... Oh, we've got a new Beatles song, everyone. Oh, my fucking God. Let's go. Oh, my word. It is here. It was here then, and it's here now. It's now and then. It's the Beatles' last song. It's their swan song. It's the capstone to the entire story. It's the final chapter, the final page of the final chapter. And we're going to go through it. Today, folks, we're going to go through everything that led up to this song being released, a.k.a. delaying having to actually review the motherfucker, because that is scary. But yeah, once I've gone through all of the post Beatles songs that all four of them worked on, all the demos and all the build-up for this, then yes, I'm going to have to suck it up, get a grip, and review now and then. Whew, here we are, folks. This is very scary. You know, we're going over the precipice here. There is no going back. Let's not delay any longer. Let's just crack right on with the show. Right, everyone, now that we are here with the final Beatles song... I thought it would be prudent if we were properly all up to date with our homework. And so, for us to fully understand and appreciate the need to know of now and then, I do think it is appropriate to include the entire history of all of the post-Beatle, post-John and Death songs, and how they all relate to each other and fed off one another and allowed this whole thing to come to fruition. So, if there is a song that was written by John Lennon that one or more of the Beatles touched on later in life, we're going to talk about it here today. Here today. Sadly, folks, this is not going to be a full-on Hot Hits and Cold Cuts episode where we get to cover all of the John Lennon Lost Home tapes, as tempting as that may be. No, we are only going to cover the tracks that were the potential Beatle Threetle tracks. And as with every single facet of the Beatle narrative, the timeline goes further back and deeper down than it ever anticipated, so let's just not waste any more of our own time and begin. Starting off, in 1977, John Lennon, amidst his self-imposed stay-at-home dad phase, where he wasn't recording or writing songs, wrote and recorded a song, the demo for what would become the most iconic post-Beatles song, Free As A Bird. Let's hear the demo.
There you have it, folks. The song's pretty much there, right? I mean, it, it truly is remarkable how similar to the final song this sounds, and yet also how far away. You know, the division of labour is freakishly similar to how it would have been if Lennon was alive, though. You know, Lennon has this song and lyrics down. It's his song. It's unmistakable. And just like if he was alive, nothing's going to be argued with, though it's from passing away rather than stubbornness. Though, then there are the other elements, like he needs Paul to come and help him finish off the lyrics and do a vocal, he needs George to add backing vocals and do a solo, and he needs Ringo's iconic drumming beat. It's all there. Though, I think what's important about Free as a Bird, especially when compared to some of the other songs that we're going to talk about here today, is that it is a song that's pretty good on its own terms. You know, it is a good track, but you can also see that there is clear room for improvement once the Beatles get involved, in retrospect. You know, you only have to listen to this demo once to know that, yeah, it's a great song, but also that every decision the Threetles and Jeff Lynne made was undoubtedly the right one. This demo would lay the template for all future John Lennon home demos, as well as all of the technical issues therein. On the good side, what we get are some very competent, albeit incomplete songs, uh, with a fantastic haunting Lennon vocal, alone, either on piano or guitar, and maybe the odd instrument mixed in there. Perhaps there are rumours about it, not confirmed. But on the bad side, we're also going to get a lot of fuzziness, a lot of buzzing, and th th this is all just Lennon's own janky-ass studio setup. You know, it's probably way more rudimentary and comparatively old than, say, even the one Paul had during the McCartney 2 sessions. I mean, this stuff sounds even worse than the McCartney 1 album. Anyway, back onto the timeline. As we move through to 1979, Lennon has now recorded several takes of both Real Love and Now and Then, much in the same fashion as the last song. And something that really should be highlighted here is that John didn't just pass through and record these songs once, like they were the Isha demos or something. Like, for example, there are at least six versions of Real Love and nearly just as many for Free as a Bird, you know, there are a few for now and then, a few for Grow Old With Me. The point is, John is clearly turned on to songwriting at this point, and these tunes aren't just throwaways, he's working on them, and not only is he working on them, he is reworking them. And that shows a dedication that is not normally prescribed to John at this point. Anyway, I want to fit all of the demos in this segment, so for no better reason than I want to hear it, let's hear some of Real Love. Real Love, take one. Oh 
Again, another shockingly complete and fully realised song there. Am I right? I mean, this really does just sound like the final version of Real Gone. And yeah, I know that they had a lot less to work with in terms of, like, Lennon's vocal. But, like, this one definitely is closer to the final one. And in many ways, I do actually prefer this stripped-down, less busy version than the final Beatles one. But yeah, like Free as a Bird, there is a temptingly obvious incompleteness to it and something so tantalizing for talents like the surviving Beatles. yeah the whole thing was always going to be a doddle wasn't it now as we move through the rest of the lennon demos from this time so that you will swiftly begin to realize is that uh, real love and free as a bird were fortunate outliers in terms of fidelity and audio quality you know the fact that they even had salvageable material in a 90s studio for Fraser Bird and Real Love is an accomplishment in itself. But, okay, let's just listen to the original demo for Now and Then, a demo that we know was delayed because it sounded too crackly because they couldn't do enough with it. Let's just have a listen to Now and Then and hear for ourselves why it could not have been a Threetles Jefflyn project. Let's go. If 
And there we are, folks. That is the progenitor of the single that we now know and maybe hopefully love. But there it is, plain and simple. No mysteries. And nothing to hide. It really is mad. And the amount of extra provenance that this song now benefits from because of this widely available demo, oh, it's just so much. You know, there are comparatively little in the way of Beatle demo recordings, especially from that earlier era. And so to have the genesis of their final song so clearly mapped out is not only a treat and a gift, but also an invaluable tool in being able to understand the final chapters of the Beatles' story. Also, the fact that the song comes from so long ago and it's called Now and Then only increases that level of meaning and provenance as time has gone on. If anything, this song will now be more impactful in 2023 than it ever would have been in 1993. Anyway, onto the track itself. And this is the part where I start to get a little bit nervous because frankly, I'm not all that blown away by this demo, at least in the way I was by the last two. We'll get on to what the other Beatles thought about this song specifically in a moment, but I can totally understand why someone would perceive this to be of lesser quality than the previous two. I don't know, folks, it just didn't capture my imagination and hold my attention the way the other two did. Like, maybe it's because it's slightly more unfinished than the other two, or because the audio quality is a smidge too bad past bad enough, or because the fact that the standards of a new Beatles song conceptually is so high for me, but the fact of the matter is, is, is that I wasn't wowed here. Is that heretical to say at this point, now that the song's been released? Um, I mean, I'm not saying the Beatles could never have done anything with it. In fact, quite the opposite. Just that the piece, as is on its own, is hardly the best thing Lennon ever wrote. Like, if George Martin was brought on to do Milk and Honey in the same way that he was for Tug of War, I'm not sure whether he would have sent this back or not. But that is also, referring back to what I said earlier, one of this demo's greatest strengths. Just because it isn't fully realised or as enjoyable as Free as a Bird or even Real Love, there is still that tempting incompleteness, room to grow and room for improvement that you know the Beatles can still do something with. Fundamentally, the song is still very recognisably Lennon-esque in the sense that it's very lyrical and conceptually proficient rather than, say, in terms of melody. But... He has all those Lennon bits covered, like those other two demos. And in terms of what the song needs, all of the gaps and holes in it are admittedly, like the last two, all Beatles-shaped ones. Anyway, back to the timeline. We also have to touch on another song that we, I think we have actually mentioned on this podcast before on our Ringo episode, which is Grow Old With Me, which was actually worked on far more extensively than any of the three tracks that we've just talked about mainly because John worked on it with Yoko with the intent of including it on the Double Fantasy album. But Lennon and Ono, working on a tight deadline to get the album finished and released before Christmas, had decided to postpone the recording of the song until the following year, 81, for the follow-up album Milk and Honey. Of course, for reasons equally obvious and tragic, that never happened. But just to round things off, let's hear the final Lennon demo that is relevant to today's material. Let's hear Grow Old With Me. Take a breath.
In terms of the fandom, like none of this post-Lennon Death Beatle material is actually new, as throughout the 80s, fans of both the Beatles and Lennon would become very familiar with a wide variety of bootlegs that would go on to circulate in the wake of his death. Grow Old With Me was included on John's Milk and Honey kind of unreleased, unfinished LP. Real Love was included on the Imagine documentary soundtrack and Free as a Bird was broadcast on the US radio series The Lost Lennon Tapes. In February 1981, Paul McCartney was recording his new album Tug of War on Montserrat, and he had invited several guests to appear on the album, including his idol Carl Perkins, George's idol as well. Perkins deeply appreciated the invite and spent a few days there, and to show his gratitude, he wrote a song called My Old Friend, which contained the words now and then. As a result of this emotive ambush almost, the normally stoic Paul had to leave the room to cry? Perkins explains what happened next in a very candid 1996 interview from a publication called Goldmine Magazine. Ain't that the truth? He said, Linda said, Carl, thank you so much. I said, Linda, I'm sorry, I didn't mean to make you cry. She said, but he's crying and he needed to. He hasn't really been able to cry since that happened to John. I mean, he stepped outside of the room out by the pool and he just had his handkerchief out and he was going at it. And she put her arm around me and said, but how did you know? And I said, know what, Linda? I don't know what you're talking about. She says, there's two people in all the world that know what John Lennon said to Paul. The last thing that he ever said to him. Me and Paul are the only two that know that, but now there's three, and one of you, you know it. I said, girl, you're freaking me out. I don't know what you're talking about. She said, the last words that John Lennon said to Paul in the hallway of the Dakota building were, think about me every now and then, old friend. Now, isn't that absolutely incredible? I mean, how fortunate are we to know this information in the context of this whole story? But also, how can I, how can we not read far too much into this whole tale, knowing the title of the final Beatles song, the song that Paul has tried to get made for 30 years, and the title of that song are the last words that John Lennon ever said to him. (laughs) Spoiler alert, this is an incredibly significant emotional turning point for Paul, Uh, It's pretty much going to define the rest of the timeline as we move forward, at least in the context of now and then, anyway. Although, he wouldn't have to wait long for the next kind of emotional bombshell to hit, as we now come to the day that truly changed it all. A.K.A. the day that Yoko Ono, the woman who, in so many people's eyes, broke up the Beatles, technically got the Beatles back together. On the 19th of January, 1994... 
Yoko Ono Lennon met up with Paul McCartney, or James Paul McCartney, if you've listened to our latest Patreon-exclusive episode of the podcast. But yeah, she met with Macca to arrange and discuss Lennon's posthumous induction into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. McCartney presented the award, of course, which in turn was accepted by Ono herself on Lennon's behalf. Then, after the show, Yoko presents something to Paul. She presents him with a lost artefact, something of immeasurable value, something invaluable. She gives him the two cassette tapes. The cassette tapes of John's incomplete, unrealised home demos, some of which were solo, some of which were for the Beatles and Paul. Now, how did he know that these were for him? Well, on one of the tapes, the one that contained Grow Old With Me and Now and Then, it was literally marked in Lennon's handwriting, for Paul. When recollecting this moment, Yoko said, It was all settled before then. I just used the occasion to hand over some tapes personally to Paul. I did not break up the Beatles, but I was there at the time, you know. Now I'm in a position where I could bring them back together and I would not want to hinder that. It was that kind of situation given to me by fate. And there's the second heavy hitter, everyone. The vital second blow in the old one-two emotional hurricane that McCartney was going through uh, in the mid to late 90s. And this sets him on the course that leads right the way up to today. I mean, I know you're all smart and none of you ever would do this, but you cannot underestimate the significance of the fact that Yoko Ono, John's personal avatar on Earth at this point, handed Paul a musical gift from John Lennon, from beyond the grave, you know, an incomplete song with football written on the fucking thing. <sighs> Oof, Marone. I mean, how how can we not empathise with Paul here? How can we be surprised by any of his behaviour moving forward here? This has clearly left a mental, psychic scar on Paul's mind, and he will not be able to rest, he will not be at peace with the Beatles story and the Beatles narrative, and he will not feel an emotional closure until this has been sorted out. Let's see how he got there. And so, unsurprisingly, all of this was swiftly incorporated into the anthology project, which had already started to get going at this point, though the original plan was to just have some incidental music recorded by the three surviving Beatles, or the Threetles, as they're informally known, for the docuseries soundtrack. But after having received these tapes, it was decided that the three of them would have a crack at finishing off these Lennon demos. From the 11th of February 1994 till the end of the month, we saw the first official Beatles recording sessions since their breakup. Now, whilst the most successful of the songs and the most beloved by the fans was, of course, Free as a Bird, McCartney, Harrison and Starr all agreed that the recording process was far more pleasurable for Real Love, the second song chosen for release, as this song comparatively was far more complete. They had to put like less input into it and had to worry less and stress less, and they felt more comfortable working as obvious sidemen for Lennon rather than like being constructive songwriters and adding to it and almost having to bear the responsibility of being the Beatles again. Let's have a quick listen to the fruit of their labours. This is Real Love.
20th and 21st of March 1995, the Threetles began constructing a backing track to be added to Lennon's demo of Now and Then. However, during the second day of work on the song, it all ended. According to McCartney, Harrison, quote, didn't want to do it. In fact, there's another widely purported quote that Harrison called it fucking rubbish. I repeat, fucking rubbish. And that this is likely because of the song's far more rudimentary state, uh, the fact that they had to do a lot more work to it, as well as all of the Lennon home demo humming and fizzing that was just too hard to mask or remove. Now, I don't know how quickly this idea was supposedly floated about before being shot down entirely, but apparently Now and Then had originally been considered as the third reunion single for 1996. You know, this would make sense. Three songs, three singles for each album, Anthology 1, 2 and 3, and yet this was vetoed. That perfect symmetry, uh, you know, that, that wonderful little tying of the bow was just completely kaput. Have you ever wondered why Anthology 3 opens up with that lame-ass orchestral track, A Beginning, aka the unused orchestral introduction for Don't Pass Me By? Well, it's because they needed something to start the album, and <laughs> that's all they had. They didn't have now and then, and that's why it's unsatisfying as all fuck. The Beatles also considered overdubbing instruments and vocals onto Lennon's Grow Old With Me, but, as Paul later explained, and I quote, John's original demo required too much work. Another potential reason was, again, the fact that it was available on Milk and Honey, but when Jeff Lynne was talking about the song, he said, It was just one day, one afternoon, really, messing with it. The song had a chorus, but it's almost totally lacking in verses. We did the backing track, a rough go, but we didn't really finish it. On the morning of the 20th of November 1995, Free as a Bird finally had its premiere on BBC Radio 1. It was first released commercially on Anthology 1 the following day, and as a separate single on the 4th of December, clearly chasing that coveted Christmas number 1 spot. In the UK, the single sold 120,000 copies in its first week, and entered the UK singles chart at number two. It remained in the chart for eight weeks, but was consistently kept off that top spot by Michael Jackson's own Earth song. Oh God, I'm so tempted to have that as the closing secret track at the end of the episode. In the US, Free as a Bird also fared respectably, reaching number six on the Billboard Hot 100 and becoming the Beatles' 34th top 10 single in America. Right, come on. Let's let let's do this. Let's hear Free as a Bird. I love this song so fucking much.
After this, Real Love would then go on to debut at number four in the UK singles chart on the 16th of March 1996, selling 50,000 copies in its first week. However, its failure to perform better was widely felt to be linked to the BBC Radio 1's refusal to add the song to its playlist. In the US, Real Love entered the charts on the 30th of March that year, peaking at number 10. It sold 500,000 copies in four months. However, its parent album fared a little better as it reached number one in both the UK and the US, whereas Anthology One only got to number one in the US, with it going again to number two in the UK. Then, in 1997, Free as a Bird won the Grammy Award for Best Pop Performance by a duo or group with vocal. In 1998, at the request of Yoko Ono, George Martin, yes, that George Martin, 
created some brand new orchestrations that would be added to a new version of Grow Old With Me that was going to be released on the John Lennon Anthology box set. Now, I can't find that exact recording online, but there is a version that is on the 2010 remix, and I believe it includes said 1998 orchestrations, and that's what we're going to listen to right now. of November 2001, George Harrison would sadly pass away, along with any of his personal gripes and personal power to hinder any release of Now and Then. Then in 2002, Paul McCartney resurrected the ideas in people's minds for the first time during an MSN chat, where McCartney mentioned, and I quote, There was another track under consideration for us to work on, but we didn't get around to it, so I wonder if there'll be a chance in the future. I wouldn't mind getting around to it. In 2006, Paul blabs about the song again with an interview in Q magazine where he says, There was one that we didn't do, which was a pity. It didn't have a very good title. It needed a bit of reworking, but it had a beautiful verse and it had John singing it, but George didn't want to do it. Also, since 2006, the website The Beatles Bible had a written section for now and then that said, and I quote, there has been speculation that McCartney intends to complete the song as a Lennon-McCartney composition with new verses and a drum track recorded by Ringo Starr. And this is where the, you know, the clever, not brainwashing, but like there is a, a certain level of social engineering here. Paul has been getting us ready for now and then since 2006. And he would continue to do this. He would continue to keep it present in our minds uh, in an interview with the Sunday Express in 2007, when talking about future projects, he said, There are a couple of things which may surface at some point. You see, with the Beatles, there's always a surprise somewhere along the line. We did Free as a Bird and Real Love, those two songs of John's, and that was very exciting, very moving for me, and very comfortable having his voice in my headphones in the studio again. And there was a third track, another song which we had our eyes on called Now and Then. I actually wanted to do it on Anthology 3, but we didn't all agree. But things change, and the thing is, is that it might not go away. There was only one of us who didn't really want to do it, and it would have meant a lot of hard work. The song would have needed a lot of rewriting, and people would have had to have been very patient with us. But there's one or two things lurking in the bushes. The Beatles might just raise their ugly little heads again. And that was from April 29th, 2007. Then there was a bit of a lull in the 2010s, but during a documentary about Jeff Lynne that was shown on BBC4 in 2012, McCartney mentioned the song again, saying, And there was another one that we started working on, 
but George went off it. That one's still lingering around, so I'm going to nick it with Jeff and do it. Finish it one of these days. Then we don't really hear anything for a while, but things ramp up in intensity once again in 2019 as Ringo, somewhat out of nowhere and kind of completely unexpectedly, went ahead and released one of John's unfinished demos for himself in collaboration with Paul McCartney. Yes, Ringo fully covered, fully realised and put his own spin on Grow Old With Me for his own 2019 album, What's My Name? For Ringo, the inspiration to record Grow Old With Me came when he ran into noted record producer Jack Douglas, who had produced John Lennon and Yoko Ono's Double Fantasy, among other recordings. Ringo says, Jack had asked if I'd ever heard the Bermuda tapes, John's demos from that time, and I'd never heard all this. The idea that John was talking about me in that time before he died, well, I'm an emotional person, and I just love the song. I sang it as best I could. I do well up when I think about John this deeply. I've done my best. We've done our best. The other thing is that I really wanted Paul to play on it, and he said yes. Paul came over and he played bass, and he sings on it a little bit with me. So, John's on it in a way, I'm on it, and Paul's on it. It's not a publicity stunt. It's just the way I wanted it. And the strings that Jack arranged on this track, if you really listen, they do one line from Here Comes the Sun. So in a way, it is all four of us. Of course, along with those comments from Ringo there, it cannot be ignored that the fact that Paul was involved with this project does lend a certain credence that, you know, this is part of Paul's ticking off of things that he wants to get ticked off in his lifetime. Though, rather wisely... Ringo, and possibly Ringo and Paul, decided not to involve the Beatles brand here and instead kept it strictly as a Ringo Starr solo project with a cameo appearance from Paul McCartney. Fans can create whatever personal canon playlists they want, but this is an officially solo affair. Let's have another quick listen. to the 25th of November 2021, the Disney Plus streaming service premieres Peter Jackson's docuseries The Beatles Get Back. This series was widely praised for its demixing technology that was used for the film's soundtrack and accompanying album. This tech was finally able to do what producers had been theorising about since the early days, in that it was able to isolate and separate different instruments and vocals on the same track slash mic setup. 
the Let It Be session tapes were notorious for their poor recording audio quality, mic setup and levels, and so this technology was brought in to allow Giles Martin the freedom to remix previously unremixable and unreleasable material. Sound familiar? Paul then mentioned a desire to complete now and then in an article with The New Yorker called Paul McCartney doesn't really want to stop the show in October of 2021. He isn't quoted, but the article reads, There's even a quasi Beatles song to finish. After Lennon died, Ono gave the surviving members demos that he'd recorded at home. McCartney, Starr and Harrison worked on all three, but added tracks only to Free as a Bird and Real Love. Now McCartney wants to fill out the last of them, now and then, even though Harrison had declared the song effing rubbish. Jumping ahead to April 28th, and Paul kicks off his Got Back tour, aka the tour that is still ongoing at the time of release. At the opening show, this is when Paul unveils his quote-unquote duet with John Lennon during the performance of I've Got a Feeling. The general success and uh, positive reception amongst the fandom and the press will likely turn out to be a major factor in you know, showing Paul again that the general public are mostly curious enough to see what people can do with Beatles and AI and demixing tech, machine learning, that kind of thing. Also, just off the record, Women and Wives debuted at this same concert from the McCartney 3 album, and it was swiftly taken off the set list whilst no one was looking. Then we cut to April slash May of 2023. Rumours of Paul quote-unquote working on something big start to trickle down the grapevine as rumours of a red and blue re-release also begin to swirl. However, Beatle fans are a cunning lot and most of them instantly started musing over whether it was indeed going to be now and then. Then, in June of 2023... The shit hit the fan all but completely as Paul would drop some major hints in an interview that he did with BBC's Radio 4's Today programme where he said AI had been used to quote-unquote complete the last Beatle record and it was believed to be now and then, of course. He said the release would be coming this year and he continues. Well, it's a very interesting thing, you know. It's just something that we're all sort of tackling at the moment, you know, and trying to deal with. What's it mean, you know? I don't hear much unofficial AI Beatles songs because I'm not on the internet that much. But people will say to me, oh yeah, there's a, a song, you know, where John's singing one of my songs. And it isn't. It's all just AI, you know. So it's all kind of scary. But it's exciting because it's the future. And we were able to kind of use some of that with the thing when Peter Jackson did the Get Back film, where he was just making the Lady B album. And he was able to extricate John's voice from a ropey little bit of cassette that had John's voice and piano. So he could separate them with AI, and they tell the machine, that's the voice, that's the guitar, lose the guitar. And he did all that, so it has its great uses. So when we came to make what would be the last Beatle record, it was a demo that John had that we worked on, and we just finished up. It'll be released this year, and we were able to take John's voice and get it pure through this AI. So then we could mix the record as you normally would do, you know. So it gives you that sort of leeway. So that's the good side to it, and then a scary side. And we'll just have to see where that leads. 
So yeah, we heard by the end of the year, which, you know, was quite vague. But in all fairness, we are kind of used to Apple and the Beatles and MPL being quite open with us and keeping us up to date quite regularly. And then it kind of went semi-silent. We didn't hear much at all until July 17th, 2023. And that's when the Pendulette podcast interview thing came out where he mentions having been to Abbey Road Studios recently and having heard the completed versions of Now and Then. And this is when we first hear about the Beatles potentially using other vocal tracks and vocal tracks you know, from Because and stuff like that was mentioned. Um, that That's when we started hearing all of that. But this was all secondhand and not an official release, but this was the best we had at that time. Although, also at this time, this is when all of the bootleg kind of solo Lennon versions of Now and Then and all the other kind of AI versions started to quietly get pulled from YouTube. There are already a couple left. Then we get to the end of the summer and there has been a comparative dearth of material about this song. And people are starting to get a little bit angsty. We're starting to get a little bit worried. You know, was this like a production problem? Like the McCartney 3 situation? Uh, was Taylor Swift involved somehow? We didn't know. But in a rather hilariously humanising moment from Ringo Starr, that almost sounded like he was talking out of turn on his part, um, during an interview with the Associated Press uh, on September 29th, Ringo mentioned, quote-unquote, that the song should have been out already. Then, finally, after another month of radio silence, on October 26th, 2023, Now and Then was announced. Here is the press release. Now and Then to be released worldwide, Thursday, November 2nd, at 2pm GMT, 10am EDT, 7am PDT. The Beatles, 1962-1966, The Red Album, and 1967 and 70, The Blue Album, Collections Expanded, Mixed in Stereo and Dolby Atmos for 2023 edition, releases out for November 10th. Together and apart, the Beatles have always had a talent for the unexpected, and now 2023 brings one of the most anticipated releases of their long and endlessly eventful history. Now and Then is the last Beatles song. Written and sung by John Lennon, developed and worked on by Paul McCartney, George Harrison and Ringo Starr, and now finally finished by Paul and Ringo over four decades later. Now and Then will be released worldwide at 2pm GMT, 10am EDT and 7am PDT. Thank you for telling us again. On Thursday, November 2nd by Apple Core Limited Capital and UME. A double side single pairs the last Beatles song with the first The Beatles' 1962 debut UK single, Love Me Do, a truly fitting full-circle counterpart to Now and Then. Both songs are mixed in stereo and Dolby Atmos, and the release features original cover art by renowned artist Ed Rusher. The new music video for Now and Then will debut on Friday, November 3rd, more details on the global premiere plans to be announced. A 12-minute Now and Then The Last Beatles song documentary film 
written and directed by Oliver Murray, will debut on November 1st. The film's global online premiere will be hosted on the Beatles' YouTube channel at 7.30 GMT, 3.30 p.m. EDT, 12.30 p.m. PDT. This poignant short film tells the story behind the last Beatles song, with exclusive footage and commentary from Paul, Ringo, George, Sean Ono Lennon and Peter Jackson. Now, I don't know why they didn't include this in the actual release, but obviously Peter Jackson would be the one who is directing the music video and it would contain exclusive never-before-seen footage provided by Apple, Sean Ono Lennon and surprisingly enough, Pete Best, who somehow managed to get his name involved in all of this one last time. This was also the day when the controversial artwork for the album was debuted, and this is probably when I should talk about it. I'm looking at my copy right now, and rather like the song itself, I like it a hell of a lot more now than I did then. No pun intended there, I swear. Maybe it's just because I'm associating it with a song that I like. Spoiler alert. And yeah, I wouldn't say it lives up to the regular standard of Beatle artwork and the rear photo on the back, the photo taken of the clock, is a lot more interesting and probably better suited for the actual front cover, actually. But I do like the colours on this. Some people have said that it looks like a bit uh, <laughs> like one of those Microsoft PowerPoint presentations where you just set it to diagonal and gradient. It does have a bit of that. But as others have pointed out, the parallel diagonal lines do evoke the original Beatles red and blue slash please please me over the railing imagery. So it does actually evoke, you know, the, the now and then theme. But it does, unfortunately, you know, with it being Ed Rusha, I'm sure I'm saying it wrong there. It's probably like Rusha or something. But with it being this particular artist, the guy who did the McCartney 3, the McCartney 3 reimagined, and the McCartney 123 box set artwork, it does point further to it being more of a McCartney project. You know, there isn't an attempt by Paul here to balance things out a bit because he has to make George happy. You know, he hasn't brought on Jeff Lynne again, quite notably. More on that later. But yeah, I think what does stick in my craw most about this artwork is not the design itself, which has grown on me. It is more, again, of the fact that it just makes it more of a McCartney project rather than a, than a Beatles one. It doesn't look very Beatly, no, it doesn't. Also on the same day, October 26th, Olivia Harrison did some fantastic preemptive damage control that was totally not coaxed out of her by Apple when she said, Back in 1995, after several days in the studio working on the track, George felt the technical issues with the demo were insurmountable and concluded that it was not possible to finish the track in a high enough standard. If he were here today, Danny and I know that he would have wholeheartedly joined Paul and Ringo in completing the recording of Now and Then. And also, also, on the same day, October 26th, Giles Martin was interviewed about Now and Then for Grammy.com, and he was asked the following, though, um, be prepared, folks, this interview does take a bit of a turn. 
he was asked. I can't imagine what this next week of now and then promotion will be like. There's an incredible weight to this. You must be feeling that. Giles responds. Well, I mean, there's some perspective. My mom's just died. So it's like, what's important in life? It's a funny time. We just talked about her funeral arrangements, and she's getting buried the day I think the record comes out. So there are personal things for me in this. I've been doing interviews this week, and people have asked me, how do you feel about what your motivation was? Somebody was saying, I'm talking about the Beatles as a resource or whatever. I go, you do these things and hope people get touched by the stuff. When you say you enjoy now and then, that's really nice because that's why we do it. We do it so people can listen to the stuff and not just hear it. Now and then sounds like a love song. It sounds like a song that John wrote for Paul and the other Beatles. I miss you now and then. It sounds like Paul has gone there, which I think he did, you know. No one told Paul to go and do it. And Paul didn't go, this would be a great exercise for the Red and Blue album. He was at home in the studio. He dug out the record and started working on it. Because it's his mate. And he really misses John. I mean, that's the truth. They broke up and John died nine years later. It really isn't very long. So I hope that people will listen to the record and they think about loved ones. Or they think about things. That's what I hope. I don't really care about anything else. Do you know what I mean? What I'm excited about is people being touched by it. What an incredible quote there from Giles. Um, every time I hear something from him, I I like him more and more. And my condolences to the Martin family, of course. Um, gosh, we've lost... He's lost both his parents now. Um, yeah. Awful. Right, pressing on to Wednesday, the 1st of November, now and then the Beatles' last song premiered online, along with a special about the song on The One Show here in the UK on BBC One. Then, Thursday, the 2nd of November, now and then, the audio was released. So this was, was released on radio stations and on streaming platforms and on YouTube and it was all going to go down at 2pm. And for some reason, I chose the radio as my preferred choice of listening to this. You know, it felt a bit nostalgic. I thought, you know, I may as well go with the more retro method. And I was a little heartbroken because on streaming and on YouTube, it was all released bang on 2pm. Whereas with the radio show, the show that was going to be playing now and then started at 2pm and so I had to listen to the host talk for like a minute and a half before they actually played the song and that was very frustrating and so um, well I actually didn't even get to hear him play the song actually uh, I, I, I did go back and check but I actually um, quit after about 45 seconds and then I just listened to it on Spotify which isn't as fun I couldn't wait another 45 seconds, I really couldn't. Then, on Friday the 3rd of November, our final entry, the music video for Now and Then was released, and I'll be doing a separate review of this with my good friend Ed Chen, hopefully in the housekeeping segment of the next episode. Right, everyone, that is the entire timeline that is everything you need to know, slash everything I could find out, about the Beatles' 
post-Beatles, post-John and Death Beatles, Threetles, Tootles songs that have ever been released. Rumours will always exist of other Beatle material coming out, you know, things like the Carnival of Light. But as far as things that all four of them worked on, that is it. And now that we've come to the end of the timeline, let's, let's try and put all of this together and ask ourselves, why is this now only coming out in 2023? Like, why hasn't Paul tried to force this out sooner? And it really has been a perfect storm, folks. There are so many factors as to why this would come out now. And I'm going to go from the more earnest and genuine and quote-unquote nice reasons, and then I'll work my way down. Starting off with the most obvious reason, Paul has just wanted to do this since the 90s. I don't think Paul would have been completely opposed to releasing some form of Now and Then in 1995 had Harrison had you know, been more willing to work on it. Maybe it would have been really bad and ruined the legacy, but still, it would have been a nice song to fit on Anthology 3. But yeah, genuinely, since the 90s, since they first started to work on this, since Paul first got his first taste of Now and Then, he has wanted to complete this song. I mean, it's not like it's an unfinished solo McCartney number, there's a certain provenance to him that you know we can only imagine you know the idea of there is unfinished lennon material out there must be a source of incredible frustration for for paul you know then on top of that we have the for paul tape how can we not <laughs> overestimate this again we've spoken about this but the four Paul tape and the fact that it's almost like Lennon is giving Paul instructions and a mission from beyond the grave um, has clearly had an incredible psychological impact on McCartney. And it's almost created a borderline like pathological need to do this. I'm not saying that it is pathological. I'm, I'm just saying Paul has a, a slight obsession, shall we say with now and then or at least he had hopefully it's over now but the fact that you know john from beyond the grave has given paul this tape for him and he ha you know he has the power to do it he has the power especially now to do this and so i feel like paul has always almost like had the desire and the ability to complete now and then ready in the chamber of his six-shooter, ready to fire off at a moment's notice. Like, you know, he's had an itchy trigger finger for this, and he was always going to do it. He always was. And it's just going to help complete the tale. Not only is now and then the yin to the yang or the other side of the coin of McCartney's own seems like old times... But it is also that missing, crucial, final baseball card in McCartney's Beatle baseball card collection, you know. 
it's not over until now and then is done. And I feel like Paul McCartney is worried that the Beatles' legacy would be somehow unfinished if now and then was not put out there. Also, it would be a chance for the Beatles to uh, cash in on their current uh, cultural cachet. The Beatles have never been more popular. I mean, one of the things that has resulted in their popularity of late has been an AI-backed project, the Get Back Show. So it would make sense to capitalise on it now, to release it now, you know, releasing it, say, a couple of years before Get Back, maybe would have been a disaster, perhaps. It would also be an opportunity now in 2023, I mean, they could have done it a few years ago too, but either way, now and then would be the last opportunity that the Beatles would have to release some new material that could still get to number one. You know, Free as a Bird here in the UK only got to number two, and Real Love didn't do much better. And so this would be a great chance to, to make sure that the Beatles' narrative ended with a number one. The next and probably most important part is the fact that the technology has now finally caught up with the ambitions. Yes, now that all of this AI machine learning technology has now grown and developed and become more refined than ever, we are now able to do things that in the past were literally impossible. There were probably things that Paul would have liked to have done with an original 1995 release of Now and Then that he wouldn't have been able to have done, and it probably would have sounded poorer because of it. Now, though, with all of these magnificent technological marvels that we live amongst, these things are now a reality. And you know when I said that Paul would have Now and Then in the chamber, ready to fire with an itchy trigger finger. Well, the moment this tech was, you know, ready for him, he was on it like a pisshead on a curry. It's like when George Lucas did the prequel Star Wars trilogy, the moment the CGI was there, and it's like when James Cameron finally did Avatar, when the CGI technology was there. You know, people have to jump on these things when they can. I mean, ever since McCartney first saw the dailies for Jackson's documentary, he must have instantly gone, oh, bloody hell, you know, we can definitely start working on now and then, now. And he probably did. This is also part of the propaganda that the Beatles have been putting out at the moment, you know, saying, oh, yeah, John would have loved AI. But it does actually fit the Beatles' narrative and place in the technological world that they would be the first to kind of bring this to the public's attention for the first time. You know, the Beatles were the first to do oh so many things audibly, you know, backwards guitar, feedback on a track, you know, putting the towels in the bass drum supposedly was them as well. But also, you know... The Beatles being on CD was a, an important thing. The Beatles uh, being on streaming was an important thing. And now the Beatles with AI is now the big important thing. It all makes sense. Getting a little more cynical now, we also need to talk about that. 
it was probably going to come out in the early 2020s anyway, because let's face it, everyone, Paul and Ringo ain't no spring chickens, and their ability to do this uh, well may soon be running out. I don't know. They may still be rocking out hard into their 90s, but I'm sure that they've got that in the back of their mind, you know? Don't want to dwell on that, but it, it, it is a factor. Also, there is the idea that since 2001, McCartney has been kind of ramping up, uh, creating interest and mystery around this song because the major potential opposition is no longer around to potentially block it, being George Harrison. Um, Philip Norman recently went on Sky News. For, uh, Philip Norman, the uh, bi uh, biographer of Shout, uh, what a controversial Beatles biography. He's a controversial Beatles writer. And he was slagging off the song on Sky News and he was saying that George would have hated the song as well. I'm not sure who he is to say that, but but to say that the fact that Paul is very tight with the family and the fact that the family would benefit financially from going along with this and saying that George would happily be involved, to say that either of them aren't factors would be a little bit disingenuous. But again, don't want to dwell on it too much. Then, of course, we have to address that this whole song would be a very positive piece in the narrative crafting that McCartney's been doing over the last few years, you know, uh, playing down the Lennon-McCartney rivalry thing, the fact that they weren't friends potentially when he died, yada, 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 this song would definitely be a part of that. Also, it's a, a major potential moneymaker. It's one of the final rabbits that Apple can pull out of the bag in terms of getting a number one. That certainly cannot be ignored. But, you know, that also relates back to, you know, them cashing in on their current cultural cachet. Like, everything is Beatles at the moment, and it sells for a lot. No one ever waits for the price to go down. They know they can make a quick buck. And, of course, going along with that, this song is also a wonderful, complimentary uh, cross-promotional, upwardly mobile release to, you know, help promote the Red and Blue re-releases. I know that they likely would have come out regardless, but it certainly is handy that Now and Then is included on the blue one. Although, interestingly enough, none of the other Threetle songs are included. Um, it would have been nice if Free as a Bird was on, for example. But anyway, more on that on that episode. But yeah, that is everything you need to know, slash everything I could find out, about all of the post-John Lennon death Beatles songs, the, the Threetles songs, the songs that John left to Paul, the songs Yoko gave to the Threetles. That is all of them. Um, there are always thoughts and rumours and portents of other material to come out, material aside from, you know, the obvious things like the Carnival of Light... There are always rumours, but as far as the gospel says thus far, now and then is indeed the final track. That is the entire journey from A to B, Alpha to Omega. We are finally here. And now that all the context is there, 
and you know a lot of my own kind of thoughts going in have been laid out it is indeed time for the review and my thoughts on the Beatles final release now and then well okay maybe not quite time for that we are just going to quickly crack on with a brief a redacted housekeeping right we're just going to blitz through the plugs here folks because yeah it's now and then that is the news um to get in contact with the show let me know your thoughts on now and then folks i would love to hear what you think about the beatles latest release i've heard a lot of your thoughts on the twitter already but i'd like something a little more long form tell me your journey with now and then did you hear the demo before this episode were you familiar with it were you hearing it for the first time do you like the artwork what do you think of this whole AI thing? Let me know your thoughts. Hit me up at paulmccartneypod at gmail.com. Follow us on said Twitter page, which is at McCartneyPod for daily updates. For Paul or Nothing written content, check out the blog, which is paulmccartneypod.wordpress.com. Follow us on the socials, which is Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube. By the time begin Paul or Nothing or Paul McCartney Podcast. Of course, YouTube is the place where you can check out brand new episodes of Macca in Your Attic, which is our sister show where me and a guest go through their hardware, their Paul McCartney slash Beatle collections. And I do have two new episodes lined up. Very excited there. Keep your ears to the ground for that one. And finally, if you want to help out the show right now in a way that takes less than 30 seconds, please leave us some imprint on the algorithm, whether that, that, that is a, a like, a thumbs up, a tick, a comment, a share, a retweet, maybe even sharing us on some sort of Facebook page. Maybe I say something hilarious and you quote it. Or tell someone waiting at a bus stop or on the train, something like that. Spread the Paul or Nothing love. It's always appreciated. And finally, if you love the show, if you like what I'm doing here, if you want to help contribute, if you want to chip in, if you want to help keep the lights running, if you want to help keep me in new product to review, that kind of thing, or maybe you're just gosh darn appreciative, then perhaps consider checking out our Patreon page. Yes, Patreon, as I'm sure you're aware, is the platform by which the public can support independent content creators such as myself, but it's not just a gimme, you do get your money's worth, you do get two days early access to all episodes of Paul and I think a week's early access to episodes of Macca in your attic, you get access to the video feed, so anything I do as an interview is recorded on Zoom and I put that up straight on the Patreon unedited and with visuals so you get to see this lovely mug as well as hear all the things that don't make the episode appropriate or not you also get access to lost bonus and deleted episodes of Paul or Nothing I did a straight up brand new episode Uh, it wasn't a vlog I did a straight up episode for everyone recently it wasn't like a one take thing on camera it was a proper episode that I edited and chopped down and added all the music to yada 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 and that was on the many names of Paul McCartney I I went through I think it was something like 
13 or 14 different names that Paul McCartney has used over the years, going from the ones that we all know at the top to some very obscure ones at the bottom. That was a lot of fun to do. We we definitely learned a lot there, and I bet you can't guess all of them, but you have to be a patron to listen to that one. On top of all of that, you get access to all of the notes and scripts that I use for the podcast, as well as the Patreon vlog. Yes, every couple of weeks I do another bonus exclusive episode of Paul or Nothing on camera in kind of one take, just you and me, where I go through something that I can't quite fit on the show. And the next episode that I'm doing with that is going to be themed around the Red and Blue release, but I'm going to be doing Red and Blue for Wings and Red and Blue for McCartney in the 80s. Uh, Some very interesting compilation albums there indeed. So yeah, if that excites you, if you want some bonus Paul or Nothing content, or maybe you just want to give me the amount of a cup of coffee every month down the internet because you just freaking love Paul or Nothing, and the fact that, yes, I do do this for free and ad-free, yada yada yada, then please consider becoming one of our Patreon patrons. Enough of the shilling, enough of the hocking my wares, I'm done with all of that. Let's crack on with the review, my review, of the Beatles' final song, now and then.
And here we are, everyone. We are on the live portion of the show where I have to talk about the last Beatles song. I cannot delay it any longer. I can't just keep saying sentences at the start of this paragraph just to keep delaying the inevitable. Yes, at the time of recording, the song has been out for just about a week now. I've listened to it non-stop in that time, and I'm mostly confident enough to tackle this most gargantuan of topics. I mean, I already had to do a hot take of bite my head off, and now this, I really am being put through my paces with released content. But yeah, instead of talking about a project that could never have lived up to the hype, we talk about a project that could never have lived up to the hype. At least, that's what I thought anyway. Yeah, the jokes do write themselves today, everyone. But this is where they end, at least the mean-spirited ones anyway. Because right off the bat, I want to make one thing perfectly clear so that I do not cause a panic. I actually loved and love Now and Then. I didn't initially like it then, but I love it now. Granted, there are several caveats to that, and of course, there are some things that I do feel need addressing later on. But yeah, as it stands... I am oh so glad I took my time with this initial review and didn't rush it out to meet demand, as the first draft of this review, that took hours to write, certainly wasn't as positive as the one you're hearing now, which also took hours to write. And I now think that this is actually quite emblematic of McCartney's involvement with the project, for, as with so many of Paul's own works... Now and Then is entirely a grower and not a shower. In all fairness, though, this song certainly had a few advantages going in in terms of my enjoyment. Normally, I would just be default fighting in the corner of an underdog song like this, but that wasn't necessarily the case with Now and Then. And I can't possibly tell if this came through earlier in the podcast, but yeah. I did indeed go into this song with less than stellar expectations, and it probably helped out in the long run. Not only was I not massively impressed by the demo, but truth be told, I also ain't ever been too fond of what the Threetles were able to do with the final version of Real Love either. And so I, I wasn't expecting all that much, to be honest. But we know that Paul was never going to let sleeping dogs lie, he was never not going to do it, he'd already managed to tick off Grow Old With Me with Ringo, and so we had to prepare for this, because we were going to have to deal with it either way. And after countless times where Paul has never let me down, and I still go in with a cynical trepidation, once again, he has not let me down. Sorry, let us down. So yeah, the initial yes-no, success-failure, thumbs-up, thumbs-down binary rating is yes, thumbs-up, and success. And without letting my emotions fully dictate this entire review, I will be honest and tell you that I did indeed have quite an emotional reaction whilst listening to this song for the first time. Yes, old stony-hearted, cynical, glib, ironic, meta-Sam actually got a little worked up the first time he heard the new Beatles song. Cue everybody laughing. Actually, no, let's talk about that. As I mentioned in the first half, 
The main thing this song has in its favour is provenance. And in terms of living up to the whole Beatles legacy and delivering what fans want and capping things off in a satisfying way, I'd say that, on the whole, this song does exactly that. Now, is it the best ever song to close their legacy? Better than, say, The End, The Long and Winding Road, or even Free as a Bird? Not really, but it's still very good, and it does not stain the Beatles' legacy. Nothing has been ruined. We can all calm down. But just because it isn't the greatest Beatles song ever doesn't mean it didn't have its way with me emotionally. Of course, there's so much emotional weight to this material, and it was always going to have both a greater and new and different meaning, given the fact that the song had been written in 79 and was coming out in 2023, and it's had all of this build-up. It's called Now and Then, John and George aren't here, Paul and Ringo are in their 80s, and it all comes to a bit of a head, really. You know, it's pre-packaged with so much emotion, and it's firing so many emotional shots out there that something is going to connect with you. On top of all that, there is the concept of this being the final Beatles song. You know, we've always had Now and Then in the back pocket as a potential final track. And now that we're here, it was almost too much to take in. And all of that emotion inevitably bubbled over. As much as I you know, enjoy this song, there is an air of existential dread surrounding it. Like, you know when you go through a breakup with someone... And then there's that moment when you're all alone and you just think, oh, wow, I guess it really is over. We're experiencing the loss that Paul felt when the band broke up the first time. I mean, there must be so many people out there right now who are feeling a little empty and dejected after all of this and are asking themselves, now what? But yeah, speaking of personal baggage, I'm going to come right out and say that I cried during this song, folks. And depending on how long you've listened to this podcast, then you may or may not know why. Part of the show is that it is my own individual perspective on the McCartney story, and the show can never be anything other than that. And so I've always been very open when it comes to my relationship with music and when it hits me in the feels, and today's no different. I've already admitted this on the Twitter, so I shouldn't be too embarrassed, but yeah, I actually cried. The moment that we get to that bit in the song where McCartney and Lennon and possibly George and Ringo together harmonise and sing Now and Then, I Miss You, Now and Then, I Want You to Be There for Me, Always to Return to Me. And, yeah, that's where I lost it. When I heard them say those words, I could not help but instantly associate with people who I myself miss. It was simple projection through and through, and I thought about my dad. And because I'm still woefully not over that, yeah, of course, tears were shed. Despite any artist's intention, music is just one big Rorschach test for us to project our own baggage onto. And that's certainly what happened to me here. Did I intend for it to go that way? Not at all. Though, I have to say that, again, it's another element that has worked in the song's favour in terms of my review... It went for the jugular, and it got me right in the heart. Well done to everyone involved. Well done. 
Now, of course, I'm obviously not saying that just because I had my own personal little tearful experience with now and then that I'm going to bump it up three points out of ten more than I would have anyway. But just before I get into the overly analytical and pedantic part of the review, where my usual picky self can feel a little more at home, I can confidently say that regardless of any criticisms that anyone else, or even I, may have with this song, or may even not have, all that matters is that I have had an emotional reaction, an emotional connection with this song, a memory has been formed, and nothing can ever take that away from me. Right, on to the song itself, and wait, 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 wait. I can't go any further in this review without coming out and admitting that, yes, I was instantaneously predisposed to enjoying now and then, and to have its grading B raised, or ranking raised, significantly, purely because of that timeless McCartney one, two, three, counting right at the start. Anyone who's listened to my Revolver review will know that I'm a sucker for a one, two, three, counting. And the moment I heard that, it was like when I first heard those guitar lines on Venus and Mars, you know, one of those perfect McCartney, you know, nervousness moments when he instantly puts me at ease. It was classic, it was timeless, and I was already getting those Beatly vibes. I was already mentally ready to receive the song in just a few crucial seconds. Again, well done. Also, seeing as as we're on this topic already, uh, the final snippet of audio we get on the track is Ringo going, good one which again feels so classically beatily and charmingly funny in a dry, self-deprecating kind of way. You know, it instantly evokes, I've got blisters on my fingers, of course. Also, I thought it was particularly striking to have an isolated vocal from Ringo to be the final thing that we'll ever hear from the band. That's pretty cool. And obviously it makes sense, you know, for the two survivors to, to, to bookend the piece. It's all very fitting. Anyway, let's get on with the review proper, 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 shall we? Okay, firstly, and let's get this one out of the way, straight up, based on what they had to work with, based on the fact that they had to create a full Beatles song out of, you know, about a minute and a half, two minutes of a very basic, poor audio quality John Lennon demo, I am honestly shocked to the core that they ended up with something that does indeed sound so whole and complete and well put together. It is, in fact, an actual full song, for the most part. And it really doesn't take you long to realise that this isn't just some jumped-up demo remix, and that they have expanded the track in all of the ways that we all knew it needed to be. All of those beetle-shaped holes are filled in. I'm not saying they've polished a turd or anything because what they've done is better in fact i would go so far to say that through beetle magic and the technological advances in ai the beetles have transmogrified a turd and literally turned it through arcane alchemical means into a reasonable lump of gold Honestly, this whole thing reminds me of, like, MacGyver or that scene in... Is it, is it like, Apollo 11, where, like, they, 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 they come into 
the room full of scientists with just a few random parts, and they're like, right, this is all they have on the shuttle. You've got to make an engine out of this. That kind of thing. Like, the ingenuity and the dexterity and the confidence of production on this song is its main strength. We're going to talk about that a lot later, but the way they've managed to create something that honestly does feel naturally part of the Beatle canon, like it doesn't feel like it sticks out like a sore thumb or anything, is one of its greatest achievements. Of course, it's not like they haven't done a few tricks along the way to achieve this. The first thing we all will have noticed, and this is something that all now and then fan edits have had to do, which is to loop Lennon's vocals. This was expected, as the full demo is just like a couple of verses and a chorus, and unless this song was going to be under two minutes long, something would have to have been done. Is it seamless and not massively noticeable for anyone aware of like music production? Eh, not really. But in the spirit of still telling the truth, I reckon a lot of people who didn't know the backstory to this wouldn't be able to guess as such. Like I think it's a product of knowing a little too much about the backstory. But there is precedent for this kind of move, and if anything, it actually reminded me of, and got me a little nostalgic for, I Me Mine, which was a George Penned song that used a similar trick to increase the song to a proper full length. Now, whilst I Me Mine is probably a better song, I would argue that its own editing trickery is actually more blatant uh, and not as well pulled off as it is in now and then. Funnily enough, I was actually expecting like a brand new verse or brand new lyrics with either Paul or George like on Free as a Bird. But alas, if they didn't do it in 1994, then it wouldn't have worked. It would have been too jarring. Like, it's very good that McCartney didn't do a solo like vocal segment on this one. Because not only did George not record one so that, you know, it would have just been John and Paul singing but also, I think it just would have been too jarring to have an 80-year-old Paul Beatles sound be a main lead vocal. So again, good call. Although, not all of the changes to John's demo were things that they added. And this is where we come to a fork in the road between people who had heard the demo and people who haven't. As this is where we come to a glaring omission in the final mix. Now, if you remember back to when I played the original demo of the song, uh, you may remember a distinctive additional segment that didn't make the final cut. What? Some of you have forgotten? Ugh, okay, okay, fine. I'll just play the clip again. Let's play the clip.
yes, that was what is now informally known as the Lose You section of the song. It is the bridge, though if we're talking Beatles, it, I should say middle eighth. But yeah, it's just a part of the song that is designed to simply mix it up, change things up a bit as we go from one part of the song to the next. Now, the thing we have to ask ourselves is why the Beatles, McCartney slash Martin did all of this. Well, if you ask me, the answer is quite obvious. It just doesn't fit. I mean, do I need to say more? I probably should have bought this up when I was trashing the demo earlier, but it is the worst single element in an already crummy demo. Like, it just brings the song to a complete standstill, doesn't it? I can't be the only one who hears this. And it's not like I'm only just hearing it after having heard the Beatles version and I can't see it any other way. The demo is older than I am. And, you know, I first heard it years ago and I didn't like it then. So I am confident when I say that it doesn't fit the rest of the song. The tone is wildly different from everything else going on. And at its core, it is a part of the song that is far too Lennony and not enough Beatley. You know what? If you don't believe me, just take a listen to an edit of the song that someone has already whipped up in this last week that re-includes the Lose You segment in the Beatle composition. Let's take a listen. the person who made that didn't have the time nor the mahusive budget of the actual now and then and so of course it doesn't fit as seamlessly as some people in the comments section make it out but I think the audio quality and the mix is irrelevant what this edit shows is that McCartney Star and Martin's choice to remove this segment was entirely correct but and as we will talk about later on it is not like they totally abandoned the ideas expressed in this bridge, as the chords, the chord progressions, and the harmony from Lennon's vocal all inform the song's guitar solo. So, if anything, McCartney cut the element of the song that was not only the most beneficial to the song itself, but he did it in the most respectful way possible that best expresses, that best utilises John's original idea. You know, like how they did in The Beatles. And besides, as we saw with songs like Yellow Submarine on Revolver, it's not like there isn't a precedent set by McCartney in terms of removing uh, lesser elements from John's songs. 
I also appreciate that this is the least possible heretical move from McCartney. Again, he hasn't invited any criticism by writing new lyrics for the song, and he hasn't invited any criticism by like, just using his own ideas for the solo. Also, I think it's reasonable to just straight up assume that John may have just cut this part of the song anyway had he been alive during the anthology sessions. Also, also, it's pretty reasonable to assume that another reason that this segment was dropped is because of the use you and abuse you line. That could be a little bit rough for some people out there, especially those who can't even get past the mention of abuse in Getting Better. Speaking of the lyrics, something else I probably should have done when trashing the demo of the song, but yeah, like the rest of this composition, they too are a grower and not a shower. Like, at first I kind of thought they were a little too threadbare and needed expansion uh, in the way that a lot of the rest of the song did, but now that I've had time to settle down with the song, as is, I have come to realise and accept that, whilst being undeniably very utilitarian and workmanlike, they are still incredibly effective. I mean, it is always risky to go for something universal as this, as you always flirt with something being overly simplistic or even dumb, but as per his talents, Lennon showcases why he is known as the best lyricist in the best band ever. He just cuts to the emotional heart of the song and manages to do it with a masterful brevity. I think what's so powerful about these lyrics, especially for Paul, is how unlike John, a lot of it actually sounds. Of course, it has his typical melancholy, the framework of singing about his emotion, an almost deification of his beloved. You know, that's all there and true, but I still can't help but feel that these lyrics actually feel a little more like they are, more so than the other demos, designed to be specifically Beatle-like and to contain the usual Beatle-like qualities. They are simple and charming, with a very cloying and sentimental use of the concepts of love and longing. And it even has the Beatle-esque trick of singing to the audience through the use and repetition of you, you know, now and then I miss you. This makes sense, as these tapes were literally for Paul. And who's to say that Lennon didn't write this song with a potential future Beatle reunion in mind? Then we come to the topic of just who John is missing now and then. And this is the part where long-term listeners of the show will laugh, because it is almost a running joke, both here and in the wider Beatles world, I guess, that whenever John or Paul sing about anything ambiguous, then they just have to be singing about each other. Well, obviously, all of the media surrounding this song, most prominently seen in the music video, is this narrative being pushed that because this was on the tape with for Paul scrawled on it, then it has to be about Paul. Now, whilst this is tempting to believe, uh, you know, and it most likely is the case, probably is, but... There are a lot of notable people in Lennon's life that were gone at the time of writing that he missed. And I have a sneaking suspicion that this song is actually about his mother. And I think it makes sense chronologically too. You know, in 1970, he releases Mother, this very raw, very angry kind of song, where now, after nearly a decade, 
half of which he's actually spent being a decent father, his rage has been tempered, the pain has lessened, and now, rather than calling out for his mother all primal, screamy-like, instead now, he only thinks about her now and then. Also, you can't deny that if there's anyone that John feels like he owes his life to other than his mother, it would have to be the woman who gave said tape to Paul 15 years later. Yes, no one wants to admit it, but it's also very likely that Now and Then is another Yoko Ono love song. And seeing as how we've just touched on the lyrics, let's move on to the elephant in the room. John's voice and the whole AI thing. I even did the finger quotes then. Well, shockingly enough, this is actually one of the greatest strengths the song has to boast. I mean, I know I'm one of these dirty little pro-AI figures in the Beatles podcasting world, and so I was already prepared to like it more than most. But remember, I really didn't and still don't like the demo, and I am a naturally cynical dickhead regardless. And so I really was ready to like everything about this song except the John vocal. You know, that was a possibility that would not have shocked me. But, well, let's just say that now and then will certainly be changing the minds of a lot of doubting Thomases out there. You know, the perception of AI is going to be forever changed thanks to this song, because John sounds absolutely fucking fab here. Like, there he is. You can hear him. And as cliche as it sounds and However much it sounds like I'm reading off a press kit teleprompter, it does actually sound like he's back with us with a new song. Seriously, it is borderline unbelievable as to how successful the boffins behind this song were in removing all of that fuzz and echo and creating a workable vocal out of that pig's ear of a demo. And if that didn't work, then the rest of the song would not have worked, and you would have ended up with something a lot closer to real love. Obviously, we've all been spoon-fed the same propaganda about all this AI tech, and we've already heard its fantastic results in both Peter Jackson's The Beatles Get Back and on the Revolver box set. But my God, is it ever still a genuine marvel to actually experience the power of where we are as a species technologically and it's so cool that it's being done through the Beatles but you know additionally and thankfully as much as this is a serious part of musical lore it's also just the most enjoyable of novelties like the experience of hearing John so crystal clearly did actually solicit a mostly mouthed wow from myself when I was hearing it for the first time like, I'm never going to get that again. And it's so great that it was the Beatles that delivered it to me. Of course, this success, as McCartney touched on earlier, does officially open Pandora's box here in terms of what labels and producers can decide to do in terms of resurrecting other artists. But that is another conversation, and we'll just stick to the review for now. Oh, okay, oh shit. I've actually spent all this time talking about John's voice and I actually haven't spoken about how he actually sings. And what became more and more clear to me upon re-listen after re-listen is how almost all of this 
comes down, all of the success of this take and the reason it could be used with AI so effectively is because Lennon actually gave us a half-decent vocal performance to work with. Now, whether it's because there are indeed several different versions of Now and Then that he recorded, or just because he you know, wound the tape back and did several takes over and over again with one final take, or whether because John was just putting in a bit more effort with this recording than usual, the results speak for themselves. It's still decent. Like... Again, if this didn't work, then the rest of it wouldn't. And we get all of the tropes you'd want from a Lennon vocal. You know, we get that archetypal vulnerability and contemplativeness that we all know and love. And the genuine display of love is genuinely quite powerful. You'd be forgiven for thinking that there would be a certain distance or emptiness in the vocal as a result of all the work that had gone into it through the tech. In a way, you know, like how the quality of a videotape lessens when you make a copy of a copy. It gets fuzzier, something goes wrong, something like that. But no, it's impressively warm, it's shockingly real, and crucially, it sounds way less like a demo than I ever could have imagined Again, I don't know if people would have known that this was a demo had it not been, you know, the biggest part of the advertising and promotion behind it. Again, a lot of this is down to provenance, but when John starts singing, you really do pay attention. Again, it sounds cliche, but it just has that Beatle magic to it. I don't know what they did, but it's there. John sounds great. No questions asked. Anyway, let's move through the rest of the song chronologically from this point onwards because the song itself introduces pretty much every single element individually, which, in addition to making the formatting of reviews much easier, it's also one of my favourite ways to produce a song. Anyway, the first of the additions that you hear in Now and Then is actually acoustic guitar. Now, I know there are talks or rumours of a version of John doing Now and Then on acoustic guitar, but that's not what we hear on this final version. What we hear here is George and Paul on acoustic guitar being recorded in 1995. You can see just as much in the music video. And the first thing I thought of when I heard this acoustic guitar was A Day in the Life. And I don't think that was by accident at all. Be it calculated to choice of musical instrumentation or just because this is how George and Paul both play acoustic guitar on a Lennon song as Beatles. But the most important thing is that it instantly evoked that Beatle sound. Like, it, again, very important. The first non-Lennon element added to this song effortlessly, instantly sounded like the Beatles. Also, as a terrible guitar player, I must admit that I was pleasantly surprised by the fact that the chords for this final number were so simple and easy to play. I'm probably going to play it at an open mic at some point. <laughs> the, the, the reason I'm so happy, though, is because Free as a Bird is annoyingly beyond my skill set, with now and then being dead easy to play, in contrast. Hell, I might even perform it on my Patreon. Maybe the prospect of me embarrassing myself will tip the scale for some of you out there. Also, um, this song is actually a lot easier to play now that the use you segment of the song has been removed, 
as that is where all of the complex chords were hidden. Again, thank you, Paul. Then we get to Ringo's part, we get to the drums, which, if we aren't totally burying our head in the sand here, were fine. Just fine. Like everything else, it sounded suitably beatly. Yes, you know, Ringo hasn't lost that skill. He delivered exactly what he was supposed to deliver, which is, you know, one of his perfect timekeeping, uh, you know, slow tempo drum rolls. Um, but it isn't anything to write home about. Like, I know that Ringo's new drum part here was added in 2022, but there isn't anything too complex going on here that, you know, could be a potential issue for him. And it's not like he's doing it unsupervised or anything, and it's not like he's having to do Indian 7-8 time on one of George's tunes. You know, this is very much within his realm house, and, you know, without sounding too much like a dick, you know, it's just a Ringo drum part. Then, after meeting Ringo, we are swiftly introduced to some of the work of the son of the fifth Beatle, aka the string orchestrations conducted by Giles Martin. Again, this is all obvious Beatles nostalgia baiting here, regardless of whether the song truly does need strings or not. You know, strings are a way to instantly evoke that Beatles sound. And hey, you know, the Martins, if anything, as a family, are incredibly good at exploiting Beatles nostalgia. Just go and listen to Tug of War. And the strings here are clearly meant to evoke all of those classic John string sections, like I Am the Walrus, Strawberry Fields Forever, uh, All You Need Is Love, and A Day in the Life. And you know what? It's all done swimmingly. Martin's ability to recapture this magic in a new recording, as well as perfecting some older ones, is yet further proof that it is he not any of the Beatles' actual children that will be the true torchbearer for the fabs looking into the future. You know, Martin has clearly inherited all of his dad's skill and the fact that he can make it sound beatily, like the, the fact that he can actually put his money where his mouth is. He's, you know, he's not just touching up old recordings. He's not just remixing things. He's actually able to put everything he's learned with his years and years of working on Beatle product to good use. And it's like he'd been doing it in the 60s. It's like, it's it's basically just his dad. And I mean that in the best possible way, as a real compliment. In general, though, in terms of Martin's production, for anyone a bit put off by the idea of a looped Lennon AI vocal, uh, it can be rightly stated that the surviving fabs and giles are more than sufficient at replicating all of that archetypal beatly add something a bit different every few bars just to make it interesting wizardry that saved several beetle and solo beetle songs from mediocrity like just as soon as the song threatens to potentially maybe get a little bit stale the masters sweep in and keep you invested and whilst the song does take full advantage of both Martin and McCartney's penchant for having richly layered and interlocking, you know, intricate production mixes with loads of tracks and harmonies and all of that going on, you know, in addition to all of that, one of the best bits is that 
the first verse of the final mix of the song is basically just the cleaned up version of the Lennon demo. Like, they actually show that much restraint. Like, they really do show their respect for John and this composition here, and it really is felt. I mean, folks, this whole production is classy all around, and everything and everyone involved is patient and reserved. Nothing comes in too early. None of the performances are too showy or too over the top. And most importantly, it does feel collaborative in that classic Beatles sense, and nothing and no one dominates on the final mix. Some things are a little bit too buried in the mix, as we'll get onto shortly, but no one, no one is too dominant. I should point out, though, before we move on, that we really don't know how much of the track that McCartney personally produced or didn't in terms of like the nitty gritty. But we do know that he co-conducted the string sessions. Interestingly, in the making of film that went along with this song, which you totally should check out, by the way, though I probably will end up playing the whole thing at the start of this episode anyway. But yeah, McCartney said that he actually couldn't reveal that these the string orchestrations were for a Beatles song. And so he had to say that they were for him, which makes me wonder, like, you know, back in the timeline when there were rumours about McCartney doing something big, that was probably this. Though there were probably people like me who were hoping that the big orchestral thing was him working on Up in the Clouds or It's a Wonderful Life, but we can't have it all, can we? Of course, there are some other vocals that are kicking around here. Yes, Lennon is not the only vocalist on this track, and we get both a brand new 2023 McCartney vocal, and according to sources, a 1995 vocal from George Harrison also. You know, those harmonies, when you hear them, just hit that lizard brain, third eye part of your mind, and suddenly the rest of the song just makes sense. Like, if there's any like doubt that anyone has during like this song, especially in like, the first part, when you get to the chorus and you hear what is undeniably classic Beatles harmonies, well, if your heart doesn't melt, it must be made of stone. Like, I wouldn't have assumed it would have worked, but a 1979 Lennon vocal, a 1995 George vocal, and a 2023 Paul vocal all still work together. You know, these lads... Uh, their, their harmonies were so mellifluous and such a wonderful accident in fate to begin with. And the fact that they still sound so good across time zones, across planes of reality and consciousness is such... Oh, we're so lucky to just exist in the world with them when they existed, aren't we? Oh, but yeah. The important thing is that this sounds beatly. You know, this is going to be something we see time and time again in this song. For every potential accusation that this is a solo Lennon composition, everyone involved puts in 110% to fill out the rest of the song with as many recognisably Beatlesque elements as humanly possible. My only real gripe with the vocals and the harmonies is that George really doesn't have a standout moment at all. I mean, when I first listened, I wondered if it even existed at all. He's listed as a backing vocalist on the song, 
and oddly enough on a to z lyrics.com during the like break the the solo all of those ahs and oohs are all like credited to george which is weird i'm sure that's not correct but I don't know, what I loved so much about Free as a Bird is that we did have at least just one solo vocal moment from George. And I know that if they had spent more than two days on this track, then yes, we would have gotten a George Harrison vocal performance. But the fact that he's so mixed down as well, and probably more prominent as a vocalist on historical tapes that we'll get onto shortly, more than as an actual vocalist, you know... That does slightly rub me the wrong way, but oh well. Not only that, when we get to the music video, which again I'll talk about at a later date, we're shown extended footage featuring Ringo singing into a mic. And then when you check the credits, he's also listed as a backing vocalist too. So, what gives? Why can't we hear him clearly either? Like, I'm guessing he's in the chorus, like the now and then. And there is a bass to it. There is a more well-rounded quality to that harmony. You know, it's a little beefier, not quite carry that weight beefy. But I guess I can see him being in there somewhere. Um, I mean, it is possible that Ringo was just singing into the mic purely for the music video and its visuals. But again... If we're having a Ringo vocal on the final Beatles song, I would like to have heard it a little more clearly. Then we come to something that I've alluded to a couple of times in this review, and that is the apparent glut of extra backing vocal performances and harmony vocal performances taken from pre-existing Beatle recordings. I mean, I'm actually still struggling to pick them out individually, but at least I know they're there. I, again, didn't spot them at all the first time around. I, I, I just thought that was modern Paul doing his thing. But no, if we go back to that Pendulet, uh leak when he first blabbed on, on that podcast, he spoke about the Beatles and Giles integrating older Beatles backing vocals, specifically outtakes from Abbey Road's Because. But then you check the liner notes, and it's not just Because. Oh no, we also have elements of Here, There and Everywhere and Eleanor Rigby on this record. What the fuck, man? What does that mean again? Did anyone else hear any of that? I mean, I certainly didn't. Uh, You know, nothing immediately made me think of, oh yeah, Eleanor Rigby, because and Here, There and Everywhere. But, as you all know, I do have a massive tin ear for this sort of thing, so it's not a surprise. Again, though, as I always say, like George Martin not producing Let It Be, I would not have guessed that these songs were featured on this record had it not been pointed out to me previously. But it still works. I mean, my God, if you do need to smooth over the 40-year-old Lennon, the 50-year-old George, and the 80-year-old Paul and Ringo vocals and make it all sound cohesive, well then, you do do it with younger versions of themselves. It does make sense. These guys can harmonise no matter how old they are. And I'm guessing the reason why those three songs were chosen specifically for this is because they have lots of generic, unused oohs and ahs that could be pitched up or down to whatever note or chord it needed 
to be. Like, honestly, on any other Beatle track, this use of pre-existing, ready-to-go, <laughs> flat-pack backing vocals would be the most interesting part of this song. But because we've got the AI and the demo and all this other stuff, it's kind of been sadly pushed to the back, but I actually think it's arguably the most creative and inventive and interesting part of the whole mix. Anyway, let's talk about the main subject of this actual podcast. Yep, yeah, remember Paul McCartney, folks? Yeah, this is a Paul McCartney podcast. And let's now talk about his bass playing on this song. How's he done? Well, like so many other elements of this song, unfortunately, McCartney's bass is not so that you know it's the first time around. It is comparatively buried in the mix, mostly because of the string section. And ain't that a shame? Yeah, this isn't a rocker that, that needs a full-on come-together silly love songs riff, but it would have actually been nice to hear this bass line because low-key, it might actually be one of the more musically accomplished parts of, of the whole thing. Because it does sound like, if you focus on it, that, like in the old days, he sat down with the melody, with the tune, took it home with him, and wrote a proper walking, melodic McCartney bass line. No, it's not a top ten all-time Paul McCartney bass line, but it really is beautiful. It fits the song, it does what it needs to do, and it's not showy. This isn't like him coming in with a Here Comes the Sun or Come Together bass line that blows the opposition out of the water. This is Paul at his most supportive, and that's all he was ever going to do. Anyway, I don't think Paul's bass being buried by the strings is that big of a deal, because Paul conducted the string section, so it's still him anyway. Next up, we have the final contribution of a Beatle on this record, and that is, of course, George and his guitar solo. Now, here's the thing. Um, <laughs> yeah, the guitar solo in this song is far too brief. It's very, very minimal. You know, it's very unshowy. It's almost like it's not trying to dominate John or anything like George's vocal I kind of wanted George's guitar solo to stand out more on this track again just as something to say goodbye to him with but as my lovely Twitter followers rightly pointed out to me this whole point is moot because it's not George at all is it it's Paul and from what we read in the liner notes, and as everyone kindly pointed out to me on Twitter, even though I pointed out already that I was wrong, yes, this is indeed a Paul McCartney solo instead. And this was the part where I was going to go on a big rant about how Paul redoing George's solo is the most beatly thing in all of Now and Then. But yeah, thankfully, as you all pointed out, George never actually did a solo back in 1995. No, all we get of George on this song is rhythm guitar, smatterings of electric here and there, and some harmony vocals. And this is a bit of a, a sad point with the song. I'm, I'm almost tempted to say that if there wasn't a George Harrison solo, then maybe think about doing something else other than a slide solo. Like, I get it. Um, you know, in, in the documentary, they call it a tribute. In the liner notes, they call it a homage to George. Uh, Paul got a slide guitar. He wanted to do a slide guitar part 
for George, you know, to echo that kind of mid-90s George sound. I get that, but I I don't know. I, I'd, I'd rather have no George Harrison solo than one that is, like, a kind of fake one. And instead, I'd rather just straight up have a Paul McCartney guitar solo. Yes, this is Paul trying to be respectful to George and the estate in the way that he's being respectful to John and that estate, but... Uh, it, it didn't result in the best solo ever, did it? Like, I think my point still stands about Paul and George and solos. Like, if this is Paul trying to do a tribute and a homage to George, I mean, yeah, technically it sounds a lot like him, but I, not a lot of the soul or the flair was captured, I think. And I'm leaning a little more towards, like, maybe Danny Harrison should have done it, maybe even Eric Clapton or or one of the heartbreakers should have done it. You know what I mean? And yeah, it wouldn't be the same as, quote-unquote, the final Beatle record, but I think you'd probably get closer to what you actually meant to do. But yeah, that really is the only negative I have to say about this song. It really is. It's, it's mostly just about George. Because the rest of the track, from top to bottom, is just oh-so-enjoyable. I can't believe it... It's gone as well as this. I mean, I was dreading this, folks. I was dreading having loads of people coming up to me saying the song is crap. And yeah, loads of people my age and people who are trying to annoy me have said that the song is bad. But I've asked a lot of people in my pub, on my bar, what they think of the songs, old and young alike. And shockingly, everyone seems to be really enjoying Now and Then. They've really stuck the landing and fucking well done to the Beatles for having done so. It seems like the whole thing's going to be paying out in dividends, like the song's got to number one in America already. Um, on the midweek charts here in the UK, it looks like the Beatles are fast-tracked for a number one single here as well. Uh, critically, in all of the papers, in all of the publications, this song is a real darling. The only person I've seen slagging it off at all is Philip Shout Norman, so I think if the if your only detractor's Philip Norman in a Beatle project, then you know you're doing the right thing. If pressed, will I say that this song is one of the Beatles' best or even in their top 20? No. No, I won't. But it's still a song that I'm very much infatuated with. It's not a guilty pleasure or pleasures with a caveat like I thought it was going to be. No, no, I just straight up enjoy it. And I'm likely going to be playing it non-stop and on my guitar for the foreseeable future. Again, I do want to bring this up. I'm so glad I didn't rush out a review. You know me, folks. I, I do envy a lot of the, you know, getting stuff out on day of release kind of people. You know, the Andrew Dixons and the Joe Mayos and the Beatle Brads of the world. But my review would not have been as thorough as this and it would not have been as honest as this. I mean, it, it, it would have been honest, but it wouldn't have been the truth. Because the truth is, this song does need a bit of attention. You've got to sit down with it a bit. And once you give it a chance, once you meet it halfway, oh my God, the dividends you will see. This song for me proves that keeping up with the Joneses might be best for like your, your number of downloads or Twitter followers, but it doesn't result in the best review. Anyway, as pithy as this may sound, folks, I'd argue that one of the greatest, most deft and graceful things that this song does is just how well it doesn't fuck it all up. 
Yes, the Beatles actually managed to do something with that god-awful demo and turn it into something that I might just love. And I think that's the main takeaway about this whole thing. I mean, it probably always was going to be, you know, with the demo and all the pre-existing tracks that they've woven into it, along with all the new recordings. Um, like Peter Jackson's The Beatles Get Back on Disney+, Plus. the triumph of Now and Then is found in its editing, its presentation, and its construction. I mean, they've, they've taken this old song and made it new, and it is a truly fantastical bit of meticulous craftsmanship but also with a bit of good old-fashioned creativity thrown in for good measure. This is also clearly the best version of this song that we or any other alternate dimension will ever get. There is no alternate history where this sounds better outside of just John being alive. So, you know, I guess you could say the Beatles, Paul, Ringo, Giles, not only have they pulled it off mostly flawlessly but but they've also made a song that officially is a part of the Beatles canon and officially ends the Beatles story in a satisfying way and that is all it ever really had to do I guess you could say the Beatles have taken a sad song and made it better right there we are everyone that is my episode on now and then the Beatles final single all the backstory all the hot takes, all the time. Thank you so much for joining me. This was an incredibly stressful episode to put together. Um, a lot of that backstory stuff was pre-recorded, and I was going to try and get it all out on the same day. But then, like, you know, the song didn't come out until 2pm. I had to start writing the review, and then I had to rewrite the review, and I've picked up a few shifts at work, yada, 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 all of that. But yeah, it's come out a little bit later than I intended, but, you know, it's a week after now and then. Hopefully you've all had time to settle down. I hope you've all learned something. I hope you all had a little bit of fun. And I hope I haven't pissed off anyone with my review. Again, as I mentioned earlier, let me know your thoughts on now and then by dropping me an email at paulmccartneypod.gmail.com or hit me up on the Twitter, which is at McCartneyPod. For our next episode, we're going to be covering the Red and Blue re-releases as well as the history behind Red and Blue. It'll be rather like this episode, actually, but about Red and Blue. Actually, in fact, come to think about it, my Red and Blue copy should be arriving today, actually. I hope they don't get left out in the rain. But yeah, after that, we'll finally get back on schedule with no future releases, and we'll be cracking on with Run, Devil, Run. The angels having fun. Right, thank you everyone for joining us for the episode of Paul or Nothing. This has been my review of Now and Then. Let's just cut to the chase. Peace and love, peace and love. Harry, Harry Krishna, no more autographs. Play us out, Denny.
about sunrise? What about rain? What about all the things that you said we were to gain? What about killing fields? Is there a time? What about all the things that you said was yours and mine? Did you ever stop to notice all the blood we shed before? Did you ever stop this notice? This crying herb, this weeping show. Children dead from war. 